Welcome to 1869, the Cornell University Press podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall. This episode, we will be talking with Jules Pretty. Jules Pretty is Professor of Environment and Society at the University of Essex. He's the author of many books under our Comstock Publishing Associates imprint, including The Edge of Extinction, This Luminous Coast, and most recently, The East Country. We spoke to Jules about an idea that he introduced in his book, The East Country, which I'll quote, The idea of a contemplative economy is appealing. If we spent more time immersed in nature, attentive too to one another, then perhaps there would be less need for material consumption. Jules has since expanded on this idea of the contemplative economy in an ongoing series of insightful tweets. We encourage you to follow him on Twitter at JulesPretty1. Hello, Jules. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, that's Jonathan. Thanks. Very nice to be back with you again. It's a pleasure talking with you, and uh, glad to have you back on the podcast. Um, First off, I wanted to say congratulations. Um, I have the press release right in front of us uh, from the National Center for Writing. Uh, This was last month. Uh, You were awarded the East Anglian Book of the Year Award uh, for 2018. Um, And I I wanted to read what uh, Peggy Hughes, one of the judges, had to say about the East Country. She She described the book as meditative, Poetic and spare, a compelling praise song for the natural world and a call to us to hold it dear. We were absorbed by it. So I wanted to wish you a congratulations. Thank you. That's very kind. And I'm glad you chose that, that quote from Penny because she kind of picked on, on something. It's, it's, it's not just the nature and the land itself, but it's the relation between that and us that has been fascinating to me and obviously forms a core part of these country and indeed uh, the edge of extinction that Cornell did back in 2014. And it's that bit of the kind of relations between us, between um, nature and us, that we can explore and perhaps change a bit to our benefit. Yes, yes, and that's something I would like to talk about. Um, It seems that apart from the political news, which can be depressing, there's also, um, we get dribs and drabs of major headlines more and more about climate change. And there was an IPCC report on climate change that came out about a month or two ago, that was pretty alarming. And the, the news be, this becomes more and more alarming when it comes to climate change. And I think people, myself included, and friends have, it's starting to get very, as if it wasn't before, very worrisome. What can we do? And it feels almost hopeless. But I think that you have some insights on uh, raising the hope uh, for people and actually giving people practical things to do to, to help stem climate change. Tell us, tell us what's on your mind. Yeah, I mean, we do face enormous challenges across the, the, the world. The planet is creaking at the seams. There are symptoms that we see in terms of climate change, of air pollution, plastics in the oceans, the loss of insects from ecosystems. I mean, we can make a, a long list of, of planetary-wide pressures that are, that are coming to bear. Um, but I think one way to think about this is that, that we're, we're now seven and a half and a bit billion people on the planet Um, and um, it is our consumption patterns our choices that we make about the consumption of resources within this closed system the planet is not entirely closed because of course light comes in and energy comes in from outside but mostly we it's our behaviors and choices that affect the resources within the planet Um, and so what I'm very interested in is how we can just rethink those a little bit how we can consider 
what we need to make ourselves happy, contented, to live, build lives, to live long lives, um, and to live them well, um, uh, in ways that, in the end, add up across a lot of people to a way to keep the planet going. Now, this is not a, a kind of an approach that says we should all wear a hair shirt and suffer. It's a kind of environmental narrative that dates back to the 70s and 80s. Um, there is a way to live well, uh, certainly with a lighter touch on the planet. Um, and the way that we've kind of conceived this is the idea of a contemplative economy, economies that just respond to different sorts of behaviors from us. Um, and added up, we have the power to make it work. Yes, I like this idea of the contemplative economy. And uh, for any of the listeners who haven't uh, come across this term, uh, I encourage you to Google it or, or simply go to Twitter and type in contemplative economy. And you'll see a whole list um, from Jules of really, really good ideas that you can incorporate into your daily life. Um, I've, I've uh, gone through them and just kind of have a whole list of them. I'm not going to say them all, but some of the ones that uh, I thought were really, uh, they're all interesting, but here's some that, that popped out. One of them, take a daily dose of nature, sit outside for five minutes and watch the sky. Uh, be active. Uh, choose to be like a bronze medalist rather than a silver. I thought that was really interesting. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah, I mean, this is this the, the the medals, the Olympic analogy relates to our consumption of stuff. Um, and, and the problem is that, that we don't really have an easy way to know, to answer the question, how much is enough? Um, and so there's another kind of concept that fits with the contemplative economy about the, the idea of enoughness. When we've got enough, um, would it not be good if we stopped at that point and said, I have enough? this is good, whatever it, the, the consumption might be. Um, so when we uh, think about um, the things we have, we, the trouble is we quite often measure ourselves against others or measure ourselves against kind of hopes that we might have to have more. And it's very interesting if you look at uh, Olympic medalists, um, people who get bronze are always happier than those who get silver. And that's because the silver medalists are always really cross that they didn't quite get gold, whereas the bronze medalists are always really happy that they got anything at all. Um, so it's a relative game. You know, we're relative beasts, we humans, and we measure ourselves against past activities, against hopes for the future, against our neighbors, against other people. And if we do get too caught up in that kind of relative game, then the inevitable consequence is greater consumption patterns. We forget to answer the question, how much is enough? Um, and uh, we consume more resources that then have a knock-on effect on the planet as a whole. And uh, those of us in affluent countries, as you and I both are, um, it is the kind of patterns of consumption in affluent countries that's driving the world to destruction. And it's really incumbent upon, and it's our responsibility for changing our consumption patterns to help save the planet. So there are ways to do that, to kind of think about what we need and actually what it is that makes us happy. really like that. I really like that. Um, and this concept that you were bringing up about enoughness, it's, it's, it's particularly around this time in the holidays, how can we embrace enoughness and uh, how do we incorporate that into this 
this mass consum uh, commercialism and mass consumption that we're encouraged to um, partake in during the holidays. We have to get a gift for, for everyone. And uh, some people go into debt just to get gifts for every family member. Um, how do you incorporate enoughness into the commercial holidays that we have today? It's a really troubling question, isn't it? Because we want this time of year to be a, um, a celebration. You know, we come together, families come together. Um, it's a moment to kind of leave aside work and the pressures and stresses of the, of the winter that's come upon us in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, and we, we really want to make it work. And what we've learnt in recent times is, is to use um, goods that we've purchased as a kind of measure of that. And um, I wouldn't say we should go away from that, but I would say that there are ways to think about our kind of patterns of consumption in a slightly different way. And I, I think I'd probably just say two things. One would be hold on to stuff a bit longer. Um, so rather than replacing that car or that um, refrigerator or, or that saucepan uh, when you think it's looking a bit ropey, stay, stay with it a bit longer because every time we do that, uh, we are helping to keep important resources in the ground. We're helping to keep the air clean, the waters clean by not continuing this kind of consumption uh, treadmill. The other thing I would say is look for alternative forms of consumption. So I've kind of said in the context of thinking about our relations with nature, if you consume birdsong or consume the laughter of children, uh, afterwards that's still there. Um, so you can sit and listen to birdsong or watch a sunset or watch the waves on a beach or, or some sort of interactive activity with nature. Uh, this has a very definite effect on us and our well-being. Um, it gives us kind of moments of quiet and calm um, and that has a direct effect um, on how we feel in the short term and also the long term. But we don't use anything up. It has an effect on us, which is a good thing, but the birds don't die when they're finished singing. They go on being the birds and the sunset doesn't go black. Well, it does a bit because it goes dark, but it doesn't disappear forever um, when we finish consuming it. So I'm deliberately stretching the use of consumption here because it's simply a, a kind of activity that we can engage in and i'm kind of keen that we think of alternative activities to just those where we are um, consuming goods and resources that have an impact on the planet we're still going to need them we still need food and shelter and transport and we at this time of year of course as you said we want to give gifts to family and friends that's that's part of it all um, but i think a kind of a, a, a reflective moment about how much actually is enough to make people happy and how much is enough to make us happy um, in, in the giving um, might lead us to slightly changed consumption patterns, which would be good for the planet as well. I like that idea of, of uh, tapping into things that you consume, but that are renewable, like, like as you said, the, the sounds of birds or the sunset, um, just spending time in nature um, and in a way consuming nature, but it's, it's renewable, so it continues on. Um, as far as gifts are concerned, it, it makes me think also that I've been, uh, my family have been moving towards, um, rather than giving uh, gifts that are physical objects, we're actually giving experiences. A lot of the research has shown that people's levels of satisfaction and happiness generally are geared more towards experiences than things. So for example, you know, giving um, a gift certificate to a museum or access to a, a, a national park nearby 
would be a good gift versus some sort of physical object. I think it's a wonderful idea, and there, there's a there, um, it's a very strong kind of line of evidence that shows that what what people are increasingly calling the experience economy, as you just kind of hinted at there, um, uh, does lead more directly to um, uh, memories that we cherish, because you often engage in those experiences with other people, friends, family, and so it's a shared experience is a good one. It doesn't take away from someone else's experience when you're sharing it. It adds to it. Um, and also there are memories that you tend to hold and cherish for longer periods of time, whereas a thing itself um, uh, may not carry that same kind of heft and weight. It's not always the case. I mean, there are many things that um, that I have around the house here in my in my study here that are items that carry stories. You know, I pick them up and I could tell you about where they came from and what they mean to me. So there are things that, that carry stories um, and they could be purchased goods or they could be just things you've picked up or someone else has given you. So not saying we should get away from that, but I think just thinking about it is a, is a good way of reflecting upon um, our own consumption patterns, our sort of responsibilities to, to the planet um, and our behaviours that might allow us to just make those small kind of nudges and changes that when added up across very large numbers of people would, would indeed be the way to deal with some of those planetary challenges that we started off talking about. Yeah, I mean, uh, what, you, what you've been saying uh, reminds me of one of the items on the list where you say, find a possession that tells a personal story. You just mentioned that, and it, and it evokes a memory, and then keep it. Uh, it reminds me of the way you know, my grandparents would tell me stories of the way it used to be before mass commercialization was that people would keep things a lot longer. It wasn't a disposable product. You wouldn't just throw in the trash and get a new one. You would try to fix it. You would try to repair it. You would try to keep it going as long as you could. And in other countries where they don't have as, uh, the ability to just go in, uh, to a store and just replace things, that's what they do. Um, so you're hearkening back to our past, which is what we we have been doing for thousands of years and now we live in this disposable society where it's just expected that you just throw in the trash and and there, there's an element of um by finding possession that tells a personal story you create a relationship with that object it, it's not just a thing it's you you uh, have a uh with the memories and and personal stories behind it you have um i guess I, as i said before some type of relationship with the object it just feels more as part of your life rather than just something you can just dispose of. Yeah, I think that's very wise. And, and the key there is, is um, perhaps a word we, we could add to it is about uh, the care that we have for things. And that concept of caring for items, um, goods um, uh, that we you know, have and we hold, we can apply the same for nature as well. If we create stories about places, we, and stories emerge from our experiences in places, if we go for a walk, um, and something happens of note, then we'll say such and such happened over there. And that will become, you know, under that oak tree, we had a picnic uh, with the family. There's an event um, uh, that then becomes kind of strong in your memory. You're going to care for that oak tree more because you've got a story associated with it. So I think you can apply that same concept to, to goods that we have. The story might keep us allowing uh, keep us keeping the, the good for longer rather than throwing it away in the trash and replacing it, uh, which is a problem for the planet. Uh, but the same goes for, for nature and places. If we care for them, create stories about them, look after them, then they're also not going to get trashed and 
thrown away or if somebody looks like they're going to damage it then we might stand up and say hey that's not right or we're worried about that or or do something active to um to protect and preserve uh, the natures that are important to us so so i, I think there's a um, there's a really interesting kind of line of thought about how we create stories how we create meaning um, our own identity and how that's tied up between um, kind of place and things and us. Um, and if we can get that right, we've got the opportunity to quite substantially reduce our, uh, our kind of consumption patterns um, in ways that may allow those, those kind of threatened planetary boundaries to be um, rode back from, in a sense. Um, uh, and the job is big, as we've said, it's it's enormous but deep down if we can't quite work out as we've just said how much is enough i'm happy with this much and that's good um then um and we can't have that conversation then then we are sort of careering towards a really difficult outcome i think yeah. um one of the things that i that i've heard you say um you use the word uh, be active and a lot of the the uh items on your list of the con contemplative economy, um, they're not just, we're not just thinking about things. You're actually advocating people to be active, you know, walk more, drive less, uh, become a volunteer. Um, there's non-exercise physical activities you do at the home, repairs, lawn mowing. No one, not many people think of that as ex exercise, but it is, I and mean, you're being active, cleaning, uh, walk to school with the kids. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot of active things that you do that, that get you outside, get your, your body moving, um, and moves us away from this, this uh, addiction that you see with people on their phones or in front of a screen most of the time. Yes, exactly. And, and you know, they, we've got little choices there that we can make. I think, um, let, let's pick a couple of, couple of those examples up. Uh, being active around the house and home um, has been shown to be just as good for our physical health and our mental health as being active by going to the gym. So, so if you had a, a, a large enough garden that required a, a sit-on lawnmower, then why do that and then finish that and then drive to the gym and go to the gym? Why not just push the lawnmower um, and walk up and down? Because that will give you as much a benefit as going to the gym and and for the planet a greater benefit because you haven't used up a large bit of resource in driving to the place and you've uh, probably enjoyed it more by being a little bit active um another example would be i don't know whether you've noticed the the behavior in car parks um uh, very often people drive around waiting for the for a place to park nearest the exit where they have to walk to the shopping mall or the whatever it is uh, rather than what I would say, park at the most distant point and walk, because if you can walk and if you walk an extra 200 steps to the, to the place where you go out and 200 steps on the way back, you're going to be a little bit healthier. Um, and, you know, that's going to be kind of good for you. Um, so we sort of fall into these patterns of, I'll use that as a, as a kind of trite example, but actually if we valued the activity side a lot more than we currently do, we would be fighting for the spaces that were furthest away. Um, yeah, a, a good example is an elementary school in our village where at the time of opening and closing, there are large numbers of cars fighting for spaces in the street as close to the school as possible. And I, I sometimes wonder whether it would be useful to park 
um, 200 meters, 400 meters from the school, um, a half a kilometer from the school and walk in with the children because they would get the physical activity. You'd have a bit more time with them. You'd have time to talk. And then you'd do the same when you came home afterwards. And I think we sort of slip into these behaviors rather, rather without thinking at times. And perhaps that's, that's one of my kind of observations around, around use of words like a contemplative economy or asking people to think about how much is enough because it, I'm saying let's just reflect on what it is we're doing a bit don't get don't get kind of desperate don't don't feel kind of um, bad about yourself because actually that's not going to change the world either but think about the the possibilities that exist uh, within our lives to make those sorts of changes that will indeed make us feel happier but also as we keep saying I want those to, to knock on and add up enough to uh, make a difference for the planet as a whole. Excellent, excellent. Well, again, this, you have a wealth of information, a wealth of wisdom um, with this thread of thinking, and I do hope you continue on. Do you have how, how many more items in this uh, list? Of, we're up to 25 now. How, how many do you plan on, on providing us in the future? Uh, well, I was hoping to get to 100. So we'll carry on across the, across the year of kind of tips and ideas about about um, what we can do and what a difference it makes um, uh, to our our own health and um, I'm hopeful that um, that those little kind of um, thoughts about about uh, what's possible to us could lead to better healthier longer lives uh, that would result in a better planet um, important time of the year to be thinking about these things as, as we said um, uh, uh, and then shortly afterwards, New Year's resolutions, a good time to do something different as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, these are great ideas for New Year's resolutions. Excellent, excellent. Well, I look forward to this longer list. Uh, you've already provided us with a, with a wealth of, as I said, wisdom already, uh, but this is fantastic. Take care. Thanks so much, Jonathan. All the best. Okay, all the best. Bye. That was Jules Pretty, author of the award-winning book, The East Country, as well as The Edge of Extinction and This Luminous Coast. As a loyal listener to the podcast, we'd like to offer you a special 30% discount on Jules' books. To receive your discount, please go to cornellpress.cornell.edu and use the promo code 09POD. If you live in the UK, use the discount code CSANNOUNCE and visit the website combinedacademic.co.uk. Thank you for listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast.